You're listening to Comedy Central. Did you see Bill Cosby came out defending R. Kelly? No. I'm not even joking. That was, like, you know where you go, like, of all the people who you don't want defending you, because, like, if I'm R. Kelly in this moment, I'm going, like, no, no, Bill, really. And he's like, no, the thing they did to you. And you're like, no, 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 don't, don't help me. Don't help me. He's like, yeah, you just like me. No, 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 no. I'm trying to, oh, God damn it. Yeah, Bill Cosby was like, yeah, it's just the same situation again. What they did to tomorrow. And R. Kelly now, you just, you know those people you don't want. You don't want anyone being like, yeah, same struggle. No, not, not your struggle. Ah, oh, man. Ah, oh, man, this is, you know. And also, Bill Cosby, you out. Just be like, yeah, qu- I know, Bill Cosby, like, yeah, yeah, like me. Reminds me of myself. Oh. Why would you do that? Why would you come out and say anything? Oh, man. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square, the most important place on Earth, it's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, the hot goss out of D.C., how to find a black one, and Derricka Pernell. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and today is September 29th. Let's kick things off with Amazon. It's why your favorite bookstore is now a crack den. And now, they've got a new product in the works. Amazon just unveiled a fleet of shiny new gadgets at its fall product event. The real showstopper, a tiny Roomba-looking robot with a tablet of sorts on top, about the size of a small dog. It's the Amazon Astro. Kind of like an Alexa on wheels that can follow you around the house, So instead of yelling for the weather across the room, you can just talk to the little gadget, a a robot with eyes by your feet. You can have it spy on the kids or the dogs in a specific room and see the live stream all on your phone. It can play movies or video call. And no, it cannot climb stairs. But it has an arm with a camera that extends up about four feet to look at things from a normal height and a little cup holder. So you can literally tell Alexa to hold your beer. And get this, it can recognize faces. So you can tell it, go find David, and it will. All for $1,000. $1,000? A $1,000? Guys, guys, I'm sorry. I will never spend $1,000 on a designer robot. Especially not when there are thousands of adorable robots in shelters looking for a home. Adopt, don't shop. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do like that it has a cup holder, you know, or as it's known in an Amazon warehouse, a pee holder. But aside from this cup holder, this robot barely does anything. I mean, at least not for the customer, you know, because best believe that when we leave the house, it's doing a hell of a lot of work for Jeff Bezos. Scanning house, my scan indicates he has just been dumped. Show him ads for tissues and lotion, lots of lotion. But let's move on, because while humans are inventing new robots, they're also killing off nature's robots, animals. Here's some sad news. Today, the U.S. government will declare 23 bird, fish, and other species of animal extinct. Fish and Wildlife says the ivory-billed woodpecker is the best known of the group. In these cases, many of the animals have not been seen in years. The ivory-billed woodpecker, for instance, was last officially seen in Louisiana back in 1944. Some scientists warn the global rate of extinction is a thousand times higher right now compared to historical averages. Man, this is so devastating for these poor animals. And you know what, tonight, I'm pouring one out for the ivory-billed woodpecker. 
because we're gonna miss it so much, man. We just, we can't be having that wood. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Ah, that was the last Northeastern water mouse and I just gave him alcohol poisoning. Ah, no, that poor mouse. Oh, guys, my bad, is, is he drunk? No, he's dead, he's dead, sorry. And look, although this is horrible, I think we have to look on the bright side as well. If the extinction rate is up, at least that means things we don't like might go extinct too, you know? Things that serve no real ecological purpose, like mosquitoes or f boys. Not to mention, is this really surprising? Like, is this a surprising story? No one has seen this woodpecker since 1944, and they've just now concluded it's extinct? It's kind of like the government announcing now that there won't be any more Frank Sinatra albums. Yeah, I kind of assumed. Thanks, government. I mean, honestly, guys, I think after going missing all of this time, it would be worse if these animals showed up again. Because, like, where were you when I needed you, ivory billed woodpecker? I was getting bullied in school by a tree, and you weren't there. You weren't there for me. But now, they're gone forever. The experts say that they're extinct, and we just have to accept it. Although, I have a different, some would say, dangerous theory. Did these animals go extinct, or did they all adapt over time to become invisible to the human eye? I'm just asking questions, man. And finally, let's move on to one animal that hasn't gone extinct. Alligators. They're what you milk to get Gatorade. You know how normally Florida Man is someone you would never want to be? Well, this time, Florida Man is the hero we all need. So this video right now, you have to see it to believe it. One man took an interesting approach to catch an alligator. Ew. Here we go. So this man here using a trash can, as you can see, the alligator's moving back, moving back, and here he is, and now check this out. He has on socks and slides. Okay, thank God he captured that alligator because let's be real, my man did not have on the proper footwear for this situation. I mean, this is not what you wear to catch an alligator. This is what you wear to a Waffle House at 2.30 a.m. And yes, both are extremely dangerous situations, but only one requires running away from a little dinosaur that wants to eat you. But still, I mean, this dude was a lot braver than I would be, you know? Like, I had to call my neighbor once for backup just to kill a cockroach in my kitchen. <laughs> Turned out to be an almond, but I still have nightmares. That shit was close, man. At the same time, I will say, I, I actually feel bad for this alligator. I mean, not as bad for the garbage man who's gonna open that lid expecting garbage, but still pretty bad. Because usually when an alligator loses a fight to a human, it's because the human has a gun or a fancy trap. But when this alligator goes back to his swamp, you know, all his friends are gonna be like, yo, man, so how'd they beat you? I don't wanna talk about it. Hey, why do you smell like the garbage dump? I said, let it go. But let's move on to our top story. Congress. It's the only workplace less productive than Dunder Mifflin's Scranton branch. But suddenly this week, there is a lot of activity up on Capitol Hill. Time is running out on Capitol Hill to stop America from an economic disaster. Lawmakers are furiously negotiating hoping to make progress on four major issues central to the Biden agenda and the nation's economy. On the docket, 
passing a continuing resolution that will continue to fund the government before it runs out of cash as soon as Friday, lifting the debt ceiling before the government reaches that threshold by the middle of October, striking a compromise on a massive expansion of the social safety net that both moderates and progressives can agree on and passing a bipartisan infrastructure bill that will offer up more than $1 trillion to fix roads and bridges across America. The problem is Democrats have tied several of these items together, and now they're trying to untangle them. God damn, that's a lot of stuff. Congress is trying to pass all of that at the same time? Prevent a government shutdown, raise the debt ceiling, and pass two huge pieces of legislation? Why is this all happening at the last minute, people? I mean, this reminds me of how I was always cramming in high school for the night before finals. Okay, time to get down to business. What is a book? All right, you got this, Trev. But for whatever reason, this is happening now, which means there's a lot of stress, a lot of bickering, and most importantly, a lot of drama. Yeah. In fact, there's so much drama, it's the perfect story to cover in our new segment, Keeping up with the Congressians. All right, squad, what's going on? <laughs> it's me, your host, Talking Mac Gossip. Let's kick things off with the debt ceiling. Out of everything Congress has to get done, this one is probably the most important. Raising the debt ceiling basically just lets Congress pay its bills. So if they don't do it in time, America defaults on its debt and its credit goes lower than Jerry's standards at the bar at 3 a.m. <laughs> Am I right, Jerry? <laughs> he knows, he knows. <laughs> Jerry! <laughs> so, this ceiling needs to be raised. But you know who's doing everything he can to make that as hard as possible? Congress's original drama queen, Mitch McConnell. Last night, Senate Republicans blocked a bill that would have allowed the debt limit to be raised. This even though the Republican Party supported national debt to soar nearly $8 trillion during the Trump administration. Democrats will not get bipartisan help borrowing money so they can immediately blow historic sums on a partisan taxing and spending spree. Democrats did help Republicans extend the debt ceiling back in 2017 and 2019. Mitch McConnell, you are one catty bitch, and I love it. Mitch is bringing the best kind of drums to this fight, the pointless kind. I mean, does he have any reason to block this bill? No. Is he doing it anyway? Oh, hell yeah. He's sending back his steak at a restaurant even though it's cooked perfectly, because Mitch knows that sometimes eating out isn't about the meal, it's about fighting with that sexy chef. And let me tell you, Mitch does not care that the Democrats helped him raise the ceiling when he was the HBIC. You think he's losing sleep over this? No, no. My man is sleeping good using a pile of his own face skin as a pillow. Trust me. But plot twist. There's an even bigger roadblock right now that has nothing to do with Mitch. It's the fight between the progressives and the moderates in the Democratic Party. Yeah, apparently, sources tell me, they're more divided than Jerry's family after his parents got divorced. Right, Jerry? <laughs> Two Thanksgivings for this guy. <laughs> you see, right now, Joe Biden wants the Dems to pass two huge bills one is the infrastructure bill, which the moderates are gaga over. 
It's got a trillion dollars for boring shit like roads, bridges, uh, hammers. I don't know. But the progressives won't vote for it unless the moderates vote for their reconciliation bill, which has $3.5 trillion for childcare, healthcare, climate change, all the stuff that Bernie's horny for. I'm so horny. <laughs> and the moderates are saying, sis, why don't you vote for our bill first, and then we can talk about your bill. And the progressives are saying, uh, maybe you should take a seat. Progressives like Bernie Sanders saying Democrats either pass both laws or they'll block the bipartisan bill. Look, if you guys want to pass the infrastructure bill, I want to pass it. You want to pass that? You're going to have to deal with infrastructure. You're going to have to deal with reconciliation. You can't just keep slow walking this thing. The agreement from the very beginning, and we are, we've been talking about this for months now, is there is one big package. It's a hard no tomorrow. I'm an absolute no. You can write it on the wall with Cori Bush next to it. I'm a no. Ooh, Cori Bush, you are throwing down and I cannot get enough. The progressives are not backing down here. They may be against the 1%, but they've got 99% of the balls. And right now for them, these bills are like Benefa. It's a package deal, baby. Have you seen those pictures? We love those pictures, don't we? <laughs> And honestly, I get where the progressives are coming from. Every time there's a disagreement with the moderates, they're the ones who expect it to give in and settle for less than their hashtag life goals. You can only be the designated driver so many times before you say, hey, when's this bitch gonna get a drink? <laughs> now, the solution to all of this drama might be obvious. Everyone get your egos in check, get in a room, and talk this out. The problem is that while progressives have been very clear about what they want, the moderates have been super shady, especially the head of the mod squad, Joe Manchin. Part of the problem is that moderates still won't say what they are willing to agree to spend on expanding the social safety net. Progressives want the package to be as big as $3.5 trillion and expand programs like Medicaid, pre-K, and the child tax credit. Moderates like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin don't want to spend that much, but they're also not ready to say publicly how high they're willing to go. I'm concerned about basically a society moving towards more of an entitlement mentality versus a rewarding mentality. Progressives think you're dragging your feet, Senator. Back up. Everybody has their own opinion, right? Joe Manchin, you are KGAF, and I am here for it. And now I'm here for it. And now I'm here for it. <laughs> Joe is my kind of centrist, as in he wants to be the center of attention. That's why he's dragging this thing out. Joe is being so mysterious, it's gonna be the first time people hold a seance to find out what a living person wants. Ha <laughs> ha, And some people might find Joe Manchin frustrating, but I just find him so relatable. He reminds me of that one friend at brunch who hates everything on the menu, but can't figure out what he likes. That friend is me. <laughs> but the point is, things are getting hairy for the Democrats, and I'm not just talking about Joe Biden's arm. <laughs> they better kiss and make up soon, because if they don't, both of their bills are gonna be more dead than Jerry's wife after she got hit by that bus. Right, Jerry? <laughs> oh, oh, she was dead like a pancake. <laughs> oh, 
Jerry, you're hilarious. All right, everybody, when we come back, Roy Wood Jr. and Dulce Sloan will convo over missing white women. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> like Jerry misses his wife. <laughs> oh, Jerry. <laughs> oh, she wasn't that great. Stop crying. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. For the last few weeks, TV news and social media have been consumed with the disappearance and death of Gabby Petito. And it's easy to understand why. It's a tragic story, and we all feel genuinely horrified about what happened to that poor woman. But some people have also wondered, when some stories get so much attention, whose stories are being overlooked? Or why do those stories get more attention than others? Well, Dulce Sloan and Roy Wood Jr. sat down to talk about it. What's happening, D? Chilling, chilling. Have you seen this, man? All this wall-to-wall coverage? Of? Like, of missing white women. Like, you would think... That's all they do. That's a whole network. That's all Nancy Grace does but all day. I know it's tragic in every case, but the way the media covers it, you would think only white women go missing. You know what, man? Let's chat. All right. <laughs> Isn't there always a white woman missing? That, that I don't know. What I do know is that the key to being found if you go missing is to be white and be a woman. Well, if you want to be looked for. Well, not only that, you got to be white, you got to be a woman, you have to be young, you have to be blonde, you have to be pretty. Okay. If you're not any of these things, then you have to be pregnant. And then if you're not that, then your husband has to be high profile. Here's the crazy thing. Of the 800,000 people that go missing. 800,000? 800,000, almost a million. A million people are missing every year? A Memphis, a whole ass A whole Memphis, Tennessee goes missing. My question is, if them people get found, does this number get adjusted or is it 800,000 people you never see again? That's a good question that I can't answer right now. Look, of the 800,000 people that go missing every year, 60% are people of color, 30% is black. But the United States is only... 13% 13% so black. They snatching us up. It's even worse with the indigenous community. Why does the news focus on this instead of all that? Oh, the news is just giving people what they want. If a white woman is in danger, then what, 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 how did the system fail her? But if somebody snatches me, they're gonna go, she probably has a proximity to criminals anyway. You're from so. the other side of the tracks. You were hanging with the criminal element. Right, and I'm second generation suburbs, so. You know the only time they talk about kidnap black people is when they escape. Yeah. That's the only time kidnap black people even make the news. We got to get free, and then they go, did you hear about the Negro that got free? Well, of course, but but it it plays into the idea of us being stronger, faster. Would the police look for me if my family released a picture of me with blonde hair? Doesn't matter. You ain't seen me with blonde hair. You don't know. Listen, I've seen Cisco, and ain't nobody looking for him either. So if you're black or indigenous, then your best bet is when you go to the police with this report of your child to say, my child is 23 years old, five foot six. She enjoys hiking, and she had a broken taillight. Or you could tell her that she's dating a lacrosse player. You have to connect the child. Like, you have to, like, if your black daughter goes missing, you have to attach your daughter to whiteness. She was leaving gymnastics practice. She was leaving soccer practice. You can't say that she was on the drill team. Hummus. Right. She was uh, having her afternoon hummus snack at gymnastics practice. Mm -hmm. She is a 23-year-old virgin 
who just nice. got certified in Christian yoga. Oh, that's white. She volunteers at a no-kill shelter that specializes in disabled animals. Oh, shit, they gonna find her. Mm-hmm, gonna find if her. You know the whereabouts of Lakeisha Joanne Jackson? Mm-hmm. Call Crime Stoppers. Five, 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 fifty-five. It's like the old Pizza Hut number. Is that how it'll work? Yes, I think it'd be a lot easier to find a woman whose last name is Jenkins Jr. But the search is getting out of hand. They're trying to find a fiance dude who they believe killed a white woman. Dog the bounty hunter volunteered to come help. Good. He's been no. looking for white people forever. He knows where they be hiding, first off, where little nooks and crannies they be in. Off, dog the bounty hunter tracked down my on an island. Why are you respecting somebody who found a on an island? Just you stay at the airport and I'm gonna just drive around. If you get out in the jungle in Hawaii, it's over, Jack. I can hide here in a volcano. You can't even come over here. It's hot. Like, there's a lot of places. There's also, Hawaii's got multiple islands. It's not just one island. How you get to the island? Boat or plane? Yeah. You stand here by the boat and the plane, and I'm gonna check that. There's out. other islands. You could be looking for me on this island. I could be six islands to the left. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Roy and Dulce. All right, when we come back, I'll be talking to activist and lawyer Derricka Purnell about the end of the police in America. Yeah, that's what I said. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a lawyer, activist, and writer, Derricka Purnell. She's here to talk about her brand new book that explores what abolishing the police really looks like. Derricka, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You have written a book that is sure to get you a ton of praise and then, I mean, death threats and criticisms from the high heavens because, I mean, like, I've learned this personally. If you even suggest a criticism of the police, yes. especially in America, you are seen as somebody who hates all police, you're seen as somebody who loves crime, you're seen as somebody who just doesn't believe in a functioning society. Yes. But when you go abolish the police, I mean, how, let's start with that. How do you even begin a conversation around like abolishing the police without having people believe that then we're gonna be living like in like a Mad Max dystopian future? Oh, well, it depends on who I'm talking to, right? So there are people who I organize with or communities where I live. And when I talk about police abolition, the first question is, you know, what about the murderers? What about the rapists? Will I be safe? Right. And I'm usually in conversation with people who are most vulnerable to violence from their lovers, their neighbors, strangers, mm -hmm. cops. Mm -hmm. And so then I ask them, with a million cops right now, do you feel safe? And usually their answer is no. And what abolition feels like to them is nothing, right? It feels like absolutely nothing. Right, right. And when you have nothing, no investment in your education, in your health care, you know, in any of the things that would make you live a life where you can thrive, police feel like something. And something can feel like everything, right, yes. if your option is nothing. And so what I tried to articulate is that police abolition or prison abolition is not merely the absence of police, right? It's eliminating the root causes of harm, and it's eliminating the kind of society that could rely on police to solve that harm because we know police can't solve it. So that's sort of where I start. I ask people if they feel safe, what makes them feel safe, and how can we start building that world together instead of just relying on police to do that work because it's ineffective. I ask this question, I go, why can we not as society not just 
eliminate the need for police in those certain areas. So we go, I agree with you. Police shouldn't be helping people unlock their cars. Police shouldn't be helping a homeless person who's on the street. Police shouldn't be interacting with somebody who has a mental illness. Police shouldn't be coming to you because you played your music too loud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And police, I think, would say the same thing. Of course. So if we eliminate the need for police to do those things and then they can focus on subduing criminals, you know, like as you said, the, the, the murderers, the killers, the kidnappers, the whatever it would be, mm-hmm. would that not solve the problem? Why do you still argue for abolition as a whole? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, one reason is because we should ask questions like, why do people kill people? Or why do people commit sexual violence? Because sending police to go and arrest someone who's a murderer, it doesn't prevent the murder, right? So I think about the neighborhood where I grew up. So many black boys that I had crushes on don't live to become men. They just don't. They don't make it past 21. They don't make it past 15. They don't make it past 30. It's not as if police are standing out in front of their houses every night protecting them from the bullets that enter their windows. That's not what policing do. Okay. Police can go get the person who may have killed them, but that doesn't save lives. That's 15,000, 16,000 people who are killed in the U.S., 16,000 people, rather, who are killed in the U.S. every single year. And what we essentially task police to do is go be body searchers. When we actually know what eliminates and prevents murders, right, which is a strong economy, jobs, healthcare, Mm -hmm. education, being connected as a part of a community where there's accountability. If you're disrupting communities by taking away jobs, by decimating education, by putting people in prison, so then when they come out, they're in a much more precarious situation in the first place, you're essentially creating the conditions for more violence, right? And that doesn't keep anybody safe. In a world where the police have been abolished... Yes. Two things. One, what is the transitionary period? Okay. You know, because that's a scary part. It's like, because when you go abolish the police, people go like, so no police tomorrow? Does that mean we get a triple spike of murder? That is not right. And then the second part of that question is, so it's like, one, what is the transitionary period? And two... What then happens when somebody kills? People have been killing from Bible times. Yes, you know, so course. what then happens? So let's start with what is the transitionary period? Yes. Can I actually answer the questions in reverse? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So um, if we think about something like, I don't know, murder. Mm-hmm. Lots of murder happen because a man wants to control the sexuality of a woman. Okay. Okay. And so that's not something that's natural to a man. It's something he's conditioned to do under patriarchy, right? And so abolitionists ask, how can we eradicate what's conditioning men to believe that they should be able to control a woman's sexual life? Right. Mm -hmm. How do we eradicate that impulse to say, no, you can't leave this house. No, you can't break up with me to the point where we will murder that person. Mm -hmm. The second reason why people kill each other is for control, um, like over petty arguments. Something you said, and I'm using men as an example because they're overwhelmingly convicted of murder. Right, right, right. Right. Okay. Not to, yeah, not to diss any man. Okay. So. (laughs) The second reason why people kill each other is because of these, these petty arguments, right? right? It's like, you said something yes. that insulted my manhood, right. and now I'm angry, and now we're going to... Or you've taken something that is you've why you've taken overstepped something. the boundary. Exactly, right. exactly. So people are conditioned to do that. And the good thing about, well, it's not good that they're conditioned, but that conditioning can be undone, right? We can teach people to have different kinds of relationships. We can teach men and boys and children how to interact with women differently, or people who are trans, or people who are queer. I don't disagree with that. Yes. However, I, 
I wonder, is that not leading to a utopian place? Like, it's a, it's a utopian ideal, but what happens... Mm. I still ask the only question, which is, what happens if eight out of ten men are like, we've been conditioned, we, we are fine with this. Yeah. Two out of ten men come and go, I'm taking what's yours, I'm killing your woman, I'm doing... Who then now... Yes, which is why I tried to answer the questions in reverse. Okay. Because, one, abolition does not happen overnight. There are okay. a million cops, there are 2,300 jails and prisons mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. 18,000 law enforcement agencies. America loves cops. There's no way abolition is going to happen, like, overnight. Right. And there's no abolitionist who I know, who I organize with, who expects it to happen. What we do expect people is to be committed to experimentation, to figuring out how to get there. How do we get to that 2 out of 10? I hear Because right now we're in a society where it's, like, 9 out of 10, I right? Hear how, do we, how do we even get there? And so what's frustrating is that people will have take a whole step back and say, well, you don't have an answer for every single scenario. So there's no need to do anything. So right. right. What's so sad is that cops don't have an answer for every single scenario. But who is funded? Police, mm -hmm. right? We get increased police budgets, murder jumps. Okay, we need to increase police. Well, if they knew the answer, if more police was the answer, then why isn't murder decreasing? Why isn't mm. theft decreasing? Why isn't all these ills in society decreasing? And so we're doing the inverse, right? So the one example that's usually helpful for me it's the analogy of like a house with a with a leaky roof. Right. Right. So you have it's dripping and dripping and dripping. And then you put a bucket underneath it to catch this water. The leak picks up. Next thing you know, the buckets are overflowing. And at some point, someone who has sense in the house says, we need to get rid of these buckets because they're like it's mess everywhere. It's not working on the leak. And abolitionists are trying to figure out, well, why is the house leaking in the first place? Got it. Right? And the police are kind of like the buckets. They said buckets don't kill people. They're kind of like the buckets. People are like, you want to take buckets out of my house? This is going <laughs> to flood. It's going to smell like mildew. It's going to be messy. And we're like, no, 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 no. We don't want your house to flood. We want the roof to stop leaking. And it's going to take much more to stop that roof from leaking mm -hmm. than it is just to keep replacing buckets, buying buckets, getting different colors of buckets. Mm -hmm. That's there's only so much we can do with that because buckets were not intended to stop leaks. Right. That takes a different kind of skill and a different kind of imagination, a different kind of commitment. Fundamentally, what you're saying is Americans need to think about solving the cause instead of only treating the symptoms. Yes. And to that, I say good luck. <laughs> Okay. Derica, thank you so much for joining me. Of uh, course. It's been amazing having you here, and your book is twice as amazing as the conversation because you can have it for much longer. So, uh, Derica's book, Becoming Abolitionists, will be available October 5th. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, Thousands of people are reported missing every year in the United States, and while not every case will get widespread media attention, the coverage of white and minority victims is far from proportionate. The Black and Missing Foundation is an organization whose mission is to bring awareness to missing persons of color, provide vital resources and tools to missing persons' families and friends, and to educate the minority community on personal safety. So if you can, please consider supporting them at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there. Get your vaccine, and remember, if you see an ivory-billed woodpecker, you try and have sex with it ASAP. We gotta keep the species going. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 